Which please turn with me to your study outlines. And as you uh, turn, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online and also our friends at Purpose Church in Rancho Cucamonga and also our dear friends in Arco, Idaho and at the hangar in, in Montana. We are so glad uh, that you're joining us for our study of God's Word. Now, as you're turning, let me just take 30 seconds um, to uh, answer this question. What happens to you when you root for God's favorite team? What kind of things happen when you root for God's favorite team? Let's, let's watch this. Rodgers in trouble. It's going to get there. He turned 32 yesterday. Does he have a vintage moment in him? In the end zone, it is caught for the win. Richard Rodgers with a walk-off touchdown. A game ender for the Packers. Now, I'm not saying the Packers are God's favorite team. I'm just saying they're one of God's favorite teams. Okay, that's all I'm saying with that. Now, today we're going to finish up our series entitled The Blessed Life. And uh, next Sunday we'll get fully into Christmas with the message as well as with the music. And I want to thank you so much for hanging in there with me during this four-part series. You know, I, I know this is uh, difficult stuff and, and sometimes very convicting, and it's something we wrestle with, and it takes a lot of faith and trusting God to accept. And so I just really want to thank you for hanging in there with me uh, during these four weeks. But today, we're going to finish up by talking about the reward uh, that happens when we uh, trust God in this particular area. And there's nothing wrong with having eternal reward as one of our motivations for obeying God in this area. There's nothing wrong with that. Jesus taught that this is very important for us to live for eternal reward, not for temporary reward, but for eternal reward. I love a joke I heard a while back about a guy named Joe, and he comes up to his pastor. And he says, Pastor, I got a real struggle. He said, when I was making $50 a week, it was really easy for me to tie $5 a week on that. And he says, and then when I was making $500 a week, I found it natural and okay uh, to give God $50, to tie $50 on that $500. But he says, now I'm making $5,000 a week. And man, to give to the church $500 a week each week, man, that's just a lot of money. I'm really struggling with that. And the pastor said, okay, Joe, let me just pray for you on this. Is that okay? He goes, sure. And so the pastor put his hand on Joe's shoulder and he says, God, uh, Lord, I just pray that you're going to help reduce Joe's income to $500 a week so that he will be able to more naturally uh, tithe on that once again. Well, we see in this story in John chapter 12, that there's really, you can see the struggle between uh, selfishness and, and generosity that we all go through, that I go through, each one of us goes through. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lives, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor, and Martha served. You know, I never noticed that till this week. That remember the other story where Martha's serving and Mary's at the feet of Jesus? Well, here we go again. Martha is serving, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And we're going to see that this perfume was worth a year's income, a year's income. Just 
just uh, uh, think of that. You know, it's hard to compare money uh, through the centuries and through the thousands of years, 2,000 years ago. But one thing we can all identify with is a year's income. I mean, a year's income 2,000 years ago has the same impact on our lives that a year's income does today. So think of whatever it is that you earn in a year. Just think of what, what do you earn in an entire year. That's how much this perfume costs. Now, just think about that for a moment. Think of that figure. And that's how much this perfume costs, and she wipes it on Jesus' feet. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why hasn't this perfume, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Now, Judas, as we're going to see, has no care for whatsoever for, for the poor, but he's feeling convicted in the presence of this great generosity of Mary. And so he's convicted by that, so he just blurts out a criticism or a complaint in some other area to get away from the uncomfortable feelings he's had. You know, as pastor, whenever I preach on things that I know are going to convict people, sometimes I'll just get criticisms or complaints over here. And I can often recognize that, that what's really going on is heart conviction over here, but a smokescreen is to complain or to criticize about something over here to escape the feeling of the Holy Spirit's conviction over in this direction. And we all do this, and I do this as well, that whenever you squirm under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, it's natural to kind of jump over here and criticize or be critical about something or complain about something over here. And that's what Judas does here. He did not say this because he cared about the poor. But because he was a thief, as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And so at the moment that generosity is present, so is selfishness. And really, this is a a picture that we all go through. We have Judas on one side and Mary on the other side. And which one is going to win out as we struggle with our own selfishness in the face of God uh, instructing us to be generous? Uh, Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You'll always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now, Judas was taking money out of the money bag. This was a bag that they carried with them. And as people contributed to the ministry of Jesus, they would use this either to help the poor or they would use it to supply their needs, to buy food for the disciples of Jesus, to support their preaching ministry. As they preached, this would supply their needs and also they could take some out to help people in, in need as well. And so you think to yourself, who in the world would steal from Jesus. Oh my goodness, Judas, the chutzpah that, you know, to to be ripping off Jesus, who was God, who would do that? Well, let me give you a contemporary word for the money bag. It was the church offering. Uh, That's what it is today. And so in the same way that Judas was robbing Jesus, God, by taking things out of the church offering, in the same way we rob God by what we don't put in to the church offering. Malachi 3, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. And the Bible says there's this principle that how we handle our finances determines whether God gives us spiritual responsibility. He says, if we can't handle the stuff of this life, how do we handle a spiritual and things with eternal consequence? Uh, Jesus says in Luke 16, so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Robert Morris writes, Judas wanted to keep everything he could in order to build his own kingdom. Mary was willing to give everything she had in order to bless the king. 
Now, there's a ladder of giving that has different rungs to it. The first rung is, is tithing. And, then, and this is the area that a research has shown that not, as, not that many Christians get to. And uh, very few Christians actually get to obedience in this area. Or I would say uh, there are many that don't get there. Many do, and maybe even most do. But many do not. And yet this is the area uh, for the blessed life. This is the area where we can make such a great impact for eternity. And it's been so wonderful during the series that I've been teaching on this here. Uh, also at the same time, Pastor Brian has been teaching it at Flood on Thursday nights. And Pastor Eric has been teaching it with our high school ministry, which is concurrent with right now and on Wednesday nights as well. And Eric told me a great story about one of the young high school girls in his, in his group. And he said, Glenn, this is, this is the kind of young lady who just anything I say, she immediately applies it within her life. She's just one of those that soaks it up and says, if God says it, then I'm immediately going to do it. And she was interviewing for her first job to work at In-N-Out. Is that like the best first job or what, you know? And so she got hired at In-N-Out. And they have an extensive interview process at In-N-Out. Even for these young adults, it's really wonderful to get them to think about money early on and what they're going to do with it. And so they ask her, well, what are you going to do with your first paycheck? And she just just blurted out, I'm going to tithe it. And that's what she said to the interviewer. I'm going to tithe it. And here this young girl right off the bat is learning this principle that I believe will bless her uh, through, throughout, uh, throughout her life. Uh, and so the first rung is tithing. The next rung is offerings. And so Kimberly and I, we will give our first 10% to our own local church here. But then above and beyond that, we have missionary friends that we've had through the years or organizations that we like to support with offerings above and beyond the tithe to the local church. And then the third rung of the ladder is extravagant offerings. And, and this is what we see in Mary. It's where you give of yourself. That's really what God wants the most. He wants us. He wants our hearts. And it takes faith uh, to give in this way. We see examples in Scripture. David. Uh, it says in First Chronicles chapter 21 that he was going to give an offering to God. And he goes to this guy, Arana, in order to purchase the materials for this offering. And Arana says, no, 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 let me give them to you for free. After all, you're the king. Let me just give it to you. But King David replied to Arana, no, I insist on paying the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours or sacrifice a burnt offering that costs me nothing. Now, David was a king. He was very, very wealthy by that day's standards. And in the very next chapter, he gives a gift of $21 billion in today's equivalency to his son Solomon, his successor as king, in order to build God's temple. And this, I'm sure, was an extravagant sacrificial gift, even as wealthy as David was. $21 billion was a sacrifice for him. Now, Solomon, his son, takes over. And according to tradition and according to the law you would sacrifice a bull at your inauguration. So part of the inauguration event was for Solomon as the new king to sacrifice a bull. But he has watched his father through the years. He's watched his dad's example in this area of giving. And so he goes way above and beyond that extravagantly. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings, not just one, which was required but a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. Now look at the result. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, ask for you whatever you want me to give you. Now he does that because he knows he can trust Solomon 
with spiritual things now that he has shown himself to be faithful in, in financial or in possessions, in temporary things. And so you can see the results of that in Solomon's answer. He doesn't ask for stuff for himself. He doesn't give in order to get. He doesn't give. He wasn't generous just so God will get him a lot of stuff. He said, Lord, what I want is greater wisdom so I can more effectively serve other people, your people, the nation of Israel, and so that I can serve you. And God was so pleased with his answer. If you turn the page of your study outline, he was so happy with his answer. He says, I will not only give you that wisdom to serve me better, to serve other people better, but I will give you that other stuff as well. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew six thirty three, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness like Solomon did. And all these things will be added to you as well as happened to Solomon also. Now, the other extreme of a $21 billion gift is the poor widow in Luke 21. Just as extravagant a gift, but in a different way. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. It was an extravagant gift because of the sacrifice, because she first gave of herself, and this was the overflow of giving of herself uh, uh, to the Lord. Let me give you a modern-day example of an extravagant gift. Uh, uh, pastor Jarrett, our, our young adult worship pastor, he was uh, sharing with me the other day, and I asked his permission to share this story this morning. His little guy, Liam, we'll put his picture up there. Liam's in the middle, and then their son, Owen, is there on the right, and then his, Liam's best friend, Judah, is there on the left holding the present there. And um, Jared has this deal with his son, Liam, that every ball that he hits to him that he catches in the air, he gets five cents for that ball. So if he hits in the ball, and if he catches it in the air before it hits the ground, he gets five cents. So he is raised, he has earned five cents at a time. He now has $35, okay? So think about that. That's, if my math is correct, that's 700 balls uh, that he has caught uh, in the air. And so painstakingly, five cents at a time, this little guy has, has raised $35. But when his friend Judah had a birthday party, he was all excited and took that entire $35 to buy this gift for his friend Judah. And it's a fancy one there. It's an eco laboratory or something like this. This little guy is going to reverse uh, climate change, right? Single-handedly uh, with that laboratory right there. And so that's an example because what is he doing? He's giving of himself out of love and commitment uh, to his friend. That's really what's going on there. Abraham was asked by God to give his only son Isaac, and he was willing to do it. That was an extravagant gift. But what God stopped Abraham from doing, God himself did with his own son. Ephesians chapter 2, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you've been saved. And God raised up us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now, a few more details about this story, because John has his perspective on it, and Mark has his perspective on it, and Matthew has his perspective. They were all at the same event, and they add little details. That's why it's wonderful to have four eyewitness accounts that we call the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so look at what Mark says here in verse 8. Jesus has this wonderful little phrase about what Mary did. 
She did what she could. Isn't that a great phrase? She did what we could. Boy, I'd love that on my tombstone. Not anytime soon, but, you know, someday I would like that on there. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Now, John says that she was holding it until his burial. But this day comes, and she says, you know what? I'm not going to wait till his burial. I'm going to... I'm going to anoint him now. I'm going to do it now. And it's a good thing she did because she wouldn't have been able to if she had waited. What do you mean? Luke 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. And when they got there, who wasn't there? Jesus. And so she never would have been able to do that because he had risen from the dead by the time she got there. And so she decided to give now, beforehand, to prepare for my burial. And as a result, she didn't miss her chance. And boy, that reminds us of us. When we get to heaven, there will be no more opportunities to give. And giving is one of the most wonderful parts of, of life and of the, of the Christian white life. And, and walking hand in hand with Christ is the joy to give to people in need. To, the joy to give to the work of Christ. The joy to give to the cause of Christ. To see people one for Christ. This is one of the greatest joys. And, there, and one of the things there will be no more of in heaven. There will be no more giving. Because in the case of Jesus, he was resurrected so she couldn't uh, do, the, do any giving. But in our case, we will be resurrected. And so there will be no more need for giving. So now is the time to do it. This side of heaven, we seize the moment like Mary did. Now, Matthew adds another little detail that is fascinating. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you'll always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, now this is what Matthew adds in, one more little detail. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Now, when you think about it, that is a remarkable statement at the time it was given. At the time Jesus said that, it was just Jesus and 12 guys, And he talks about it going around the world. What's up with that? Jesus, you have a Messiah complex. Oh, that's right. You're the Messiah, so it's cool. (laughs) Jesus is the one guy that it's okay to have a Messiah complex with. And he says, wherever the gospel is preached, even when Matthew wrote this a few years later, at the time he wrote it, Christianity was this tiny little minority of people beaten down under the heel of the mighty Roman Empire, crushed and persecuted. What a, what a fantastic prophetic word this is. Who could, who could imagine except Jesus, because he knew it to be true. And so he says it prophetically, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And I believe it's not in the Bible, but he took them aside. He says, they said, what do you mean throughout the world? He says, well, one day they're going to talk about this in Pomona, California. And then they're going to video it out to Marion, Montana, and also Arca, Idaho, and Rancho Cucamonga. And the disciples are going to go, oh, I get it. And now you know, no. I mean, it was crazy. The disciples didn't even know about the Western Hemisphere, you know. Or, and, 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 and yet, um, here this happens. And so um, um, he says, wherever this gospel is preached, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And when you give through the eternity in heaven... 
it will be told in honor of us everything we give this side of heaven right up until the time we die. And well, I guess we can give beyond the grave if you leave something in your will. So from your will backwards, this is the time for giving. And, and, and later on, we will not have that opportunity. But what we do give, it will echo for eternity the impact of that. Hebrews 11, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Down in verse 26, it says about Moses, he regarded disgrace, a sacrifice for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ, sacrifice, um, generosity for the sake of Christ, we might add, as of greater value than the treasures of heaven because he was looking ahead to his reward. What, what a wonderful reward that is. But even be, along with that, the blessed life. We want that reward for eternity, but we want that blessed life here and, and now. And maybe the area of finances has been just a frustration to you. And maybe it's time to just say, you know what? Give God's word a chance. Give it a shot. If what we're doing isn't working, let's, let's mix it up a little bit. Let's try something different. Let's try doing it according to God's word. Uh, somebody sent me uh, this, uh, Dave East, actually, from the 945 service. Uh, he, he sent me this this past week. Here's the situation. Okay, here's the situation. Imagine it. You're on a horse galloping at a constant speed. On your left is a sharp drop-off. On your right is an elephant traveling at the same speed as you. Directly in front of you is a galloping kangaroo, and your horse is unable to overtake it. Behind you is a lion running at the same speed as you and the kangaroo. What must you do to get out of this highly dangerous situation? And then you scroll down, and it says, Quietly get off the merry-go-round and go home. And, you know, maybe that's what the Lord's calling us to do, to get off the merry-go-round. Do you feel like in this area of life you've got lions and kangaroos and everybody's chasing you and you're always chasing fulfillment and it's always just out of reach and, and, and you just, you know, it just seems like the blessed life is unattainable? Maybe, just maybe, for the remainder of this year and going into 2016, it's time to, to get off the merry-go-round and to go home to God's word and to look at the owner's manual and say, Lord, how can I obey you? And it takes faith and it takes great trust and it's scary. But Lord, how by faith can I begin to obey you in this area and just see if the result won't be the blessed life today and the life of eternal reward uh, tomorrow? Lord, I know that these things are very, very hard and it takes a great deal of faith um, to put them into practice. Lord, thank you so much for that high school girl that's learning it early. Um, Lord, uh, thank you so much for little Liam from our children's ministry who's learning it early uh, because then I believe it'll be more natural for them as in, and in some ways easy for them as the years go by. But for those that maybe that have been on the merry-go-round for a number of years, it is a hard thing. And so, Lord, I just pray for each one of us, starting with myself, that we will have the faith and the courage 
uh, to obey your word, even if it's scary, even if it takes trusting you in a whole new way, and that you'll just help us to get off the merry-go-round, to come home to your word, and then to experience the blessed life that you want us to experience. And then, Lord, to be giving this side of heaven so that, like Mary, uh, the echoing through eternity uh, will go on. Uh, The story will be told like we're telling her story 2,000 years later. The story will be told for eternity as to the impact of our generosity to the cause of Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen.